This psalm is known as the shepherd's psalm written by the shepherd himself, David. Israel's greatest king. Got his start as a shepherd. Most likely, most likely he wrote these words that we're going to look at today in the later years of life. Now some have suggested that he probably wrote these words or penned this uh, in a time when he was along the Judean hillsides as a shepherd boy working for his father and helping care for his father's sheep. But the wisdom shared in these verses that we're going to look at today could only come from one who has wandered and wavered, who has suffered and struggled, and one who has been ruined and been restored. I think that's the perfect description of David's life. I mean, he knew what, was, what life was like when it was going great. He knew what it was like when he was just a boy defeating the giant Philistine Goliath and taking him out. A great time in his life. He knew what it was like when multitudes cheered him on, when becoming a king for the chosen people. Good things that were happening. He also knew what life was like when it was going bad. He understood when everything was working out and everything was clicking, but he also knew what it was like when the wheels were falling off the bus of life, and he's like, it's all just falling apart. See, in his early years, it was as if David could do no wrong. Things were wonderful. But even kings face struggles because even kings struggle with sin. David defeated the Goliath, but he couldn't defeat the giant of lust, which resulted in a tragic, adulterous affair with Bathsheba. In an attempt to cover up what David had done with Bathsheba, uh, he had, David had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put on the front lines of battle so that he would lose his life and he was killed. Later, the baby conceived by David and Bathsheba died. David experienced the grief of having one, his own daughter, Tamar, sexually assaulted by one of his sons, Amnon. I mean, that would make life pretty miserable. Another son, Absalom, had Amnon killed, and so brothers are now fighting. And then Absalom tried to steal the kingdom from his father, David, and Absalom was killed. And you stop and think about it. David went through all kinds of trials and turmoils and difficulties. Turn your Bible to Psalm 23. As we stop to look and see what David pins and what he puts down for us and the verses that we hold on to today that probably at some time in your life have even spoken very clearly to you and brought some encouragement and some comfort in the middle of a struggle. Because in Psalm 23, the only way to pin these words is to go through wandering and wavering and to walk through suffering and struggles. There's no way for a young boy to pin these words that David shares with us today. And so we're going to see one who's been ruined and also been restored. Listen carefully to these words. And even if you know it by memory, sometimes we know things by memory, we can just kind of say it and not really get the meaning of it. So listen closely. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Heavenly Father, would you speak to us today through your Scripture? Lord, today as we look at this text that David put down after going through the trials and the turmoils, going through the ups and going through the downs of life, and for him to put these words down on a piece of paper inspired by you, Lord, by your Spirit, and by your desire for him to put these words on page for us, Lord, there's great meaning here as we understand our relationship to you as a shepherd, as our relationship to you as Jehovah Rohi. Father, we pray that you will speak to us in this room. Lord, today I believe is a message of encouragement. And so, Lord, I pray and ask that you would encourage us today through your scriptures. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. When David wrote the words, The Lord is my shepherd, he's referring to God, Jehovah Rophi, as we have been discussing the names of God and looking at the Old Testament Greek names and understanding that there are many names for God. And as we unpack them this summer and look at these, these names of God and try to understand them, it should expand our relationship to understand who God is. When David wrote those, he's referring to God. Many times we think of it as Jesus. And I think that's perfectly okay because John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And obviously we know that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. So as you think about shepherd, if you think about the connection with your, the Holy Spirit or Jesus, God, it's okay. Isaiah 40, 11 prophesied that the coming Messiah, referring to Jesus, was going to come as a shepherd. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd in John 10, 14. He's also called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. He's referred to as the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. So when we read this passage... We think good shepherd, yeah, we're going to think about God, but I think we also naturally are going to think Jesus. In John 10, 1 through 6, the shepherd was the leader of the sheep. He was the feeder of the sheep and the protector of the sheep. And so, and you read through the book of John, describing Jesus, we see what he did. The quality of the sheep's life, though, was totally dependent upon the shepherd. The quality of the sheep that were in the field were totally dependent upon the shepherd. The quality of the sheep's life was totally dependent. And in Psalms 23, David is announcing the Lord, Jehovah Rohi, is my shepherd. He's saying, my life leans upon that shepherd. It's personal. He had a personal relationship with God. Do you have that this morning? Is it personal? Is it personal when you say, He's my God? He doesn't say, the Lord was my shepherd. He said, the Lord is, is my shepherd. Not was, not at one time. It is, He is. That's active. It's today. Not only is it personal, it's very present tense. It's right now. It's also so powerful. El Shaddai, God Almighty, the Lord Jehovah, that's my shepherd. All we need to do is we need to stop and think through Scripture and you start thinking about the things that God has done, you start remembering what He's done, we start to realize what a powerful God we serve and what a great shepherd He is. I mean, the Lord Jehovah, who made man out of dust, that's my shepherd. I hope He's your shepherd too. The Lord Jehovah, who parted the Red Sea, that's my shepherd. I hope He's your shepherd too. The Lord Jehovah, who made the sun stand still for Joshua, that's my shepherd. The Lord Jehovah who rained down fire from heaven for Elijah. That's my shepherd. The Lord Jehovah who sprinkled millions upon millions and billions upon billions of stars in the sky. That's my shepherd. Is he your shepherd too? The Lord Jehovah who holds the seven seas in the palm of his hands. That's 
my shepherd. Is he your shepherd too? The Lord Jehovah who sits on the throne of heaven and controls the universe by the very word of his voice. That's my shepherd. And David knew about many of these things. And David said, that's my shepherd. My shepherd who has it all in his hands, not only has this world, David's saying, he has me. He has me in his hands. He's not impersonable. He's not untouchable. He's not some far-off being that we can never interact with. It's a very personal relationship. He sees me and knows me and loves me and cares for me. He leads me and feeds me and guides me and protects me. He provides for me. He walks with me. He talks with me. He knows me by name. That's our shepherd, Jehovah Rohi. I pray you know him. And I pray you don't just know him as just, well, there's a God out there. I pray you know him in a very personal relationship that you can say, as David says, and says, that's my shepherd. That's what David's telling us. See, at the very end of every day, the shepherd would stop and count sheep. He'd get all his flock together and he'd start to count. Why would he count them? Because it's important to him. He's like, I know I started the day with 140 sheep. I want to end the day with 140 sheep as we lie down to go to sleep. If one was missing, he would start to search the hillside and go into the ravines and the ditches to find that one that was lost. And the sheep that were kept in a fold, usually they were kept in a fold, kind of like a cave-like setting. It's kind of perfect that today we're in a cave. Because he would find in Israel, there were many kind of caves and little rock clefts, and they would find a cave spot where they could kind of get the sheep, where the caves behind them so no animal could come behind them, and they would kind of curl up in one little area for the nighttime where they could rest, and then the shepherd would sit at that mouth of that cave. He would lie down, lie down the mouth of that cave, and so the sheep were all kind of behind him to the opening, and the shepherd would literally lie down and become the gate where he's lying down like all the sheep are behind me. So after he counted them and knew I started with 140 today, I have 140 tonight, get them in that cave, that little cleft where it's kind of blocked by three sides, and then he's guarding it. And that's why Jesus says in John 10, 7, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. That's the visual. I am the gate. Nobody can get to the sheep unless they come over the gate or through the gate. And Jesus is saying, I'm the gate, and devil's not going to get to you unless he comes through me. That's if you accept him as your shepherd. See, if the Lord is your shepherd, when the devil comes to mess with you, when the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he's got to go through Jesus first if the Lord is your shepherd. The devil is always looking for people without a shepherd. He's looking for people who are wandering around out by themselves because they're easy prey. That's why... The local church is so important. We are a flock. That's the local church. There are many multitudes of flocks of Christians, Christ followers around this world. But today what happens is people say, oh, I just kind of want to go here, I kind of want to go there. Ah, I may hit church every now and then. It's so important to be part of the flock because as a flock, we care for one another. We shepherd one another. We kind of do the work that Jesus has called us to do. And that, so we reach out and we protect and we pray and we minister one another. But if you're not part of a flock, you're just putting yourself out there in the open and say. Satan, come after me. Matthew 9, 36, Jesus told me a compassion of people because they're harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. See, a sheep without a shepherd is very hopeless. A sheep without a shepherd is an easy 
target. A sheep without a shepherd is guaranteed to lose their life to the evil one, and that sense is the wolf, but for us, the evil one would be Satan. I've got news for you. Jehovah Roihi is looking for you and me. He wants to be your shepherd if you allow him to be your shepherd. If you call out to him, he'll find you. And Jehovah Roihi will say, if you're one of mine, I'm going to do everything I can. He's going to protect us. The shepherd's staff had a crook on the end of it. You've seen it before, a a tall stick with with a crook on the very end of it. And it was used to get under a sheep's legs to lift them up, to turn it upside down. And it would kind of hook the sheep and they would lift them up. And also, it was used to help get... The, the sheep out of ditches. So if a sheep would get down into a ditch or into a low spot and the shepherd would have a hard time, he would get down there and lift that sheep up and get it out of trouble. Aren't you glad that Jesus lifts us up out of our sin? Lifts us up out of the ditches of our sin, the ditches of the, way, the choices we made. And that's what David's writing about. David's like, I've made stupid mistakes. I've made choices that don't honor God. But he's praising God, saying, my shepherd is the one who lifts me up. This text, there are ten things. We see Jehovah Roihi when we see the Lord our shepherd. You say ten things, oh my goodness, this sermon's going to be a long one. We're going to hit them real fast. So just write these down quickly. I want to dig in a little bit deeper. Number one, I shall not want for rest because he makes me lie down. You see that in verse two. I shall not want for refreshment because he leaves me beside still waters. Again, that's in verse two. He gives us rest and refreshment. I shall not want for forgiveness because he restores my soul i shall not want for direction because he guides me in the in the right path and that's why i think this the person who writing the wisdom book of proverbs could say trust in the lord with all your heart lean not on your on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight because when you know the shepherd he gives you direction i shall not want for companionship because even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death he'll be right there with me so when I'm walking through the hardships of life, he's right alongside me. I shall not want for success because he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for power because he anoints my head with oil. I shall not want for prosperity because he makes my cup overflow. He will fill you if you allow him to do that. I shall not want for anything for my entire life because goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall not want for anything in eternity because I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever see that's what David was trying to pin as he's saying these words rest and refreshment and forgiveness and direction and companionship and success and power and prosperity and anything I shall not want Because He will provide for me all those things. We're going to dig into those a little bit closer. Before we do, though, we've got to understand a little bit more of the shepherd-sheep relationship. The shepherd has complete authority over a sheep. The sheep are to follow the shepherd. It's not the responsibility of the sheep to figure out the shepherd. The sheep never went to the shepherd and said, Bad, 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 I don't like where you're going. There was never a conversation like that. The shepherd would lead and the sheep would follow. It's not the responsibility of the sheep to question the shepherd's decisions or directions. Now, if I may speak to all the kids in here for a moment, young people, and it's hard. It's not your job to figure out mom and dad's thinking. 
Mom and dad, you're supposed to say amen. Your mom and dad are your shepherds, so to speak. Your mom and dad's role in this world is to guide you and to shepherd you in Jesus Christ and to teach you how to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And sometimes I was there as a teenager. I'm like, well, why? Why are you doing that? And you guys go down the why road. Sometimes you guys need to behave like sheep and say, you know what? The shepherd, my parents are following, and I'll go where they're leading. Even though I may not understand, moms and dads, help me out. You can say amen more than once. Come on now. I'm giving you guys a chance to do a little bit of work at home today. We need to behave like the sheep. The shepherd always carried two things. Always had a rod and always had a staff. The rod was used to strike wolves. So if a wolf is coming, I'm going to beat the wolf with a rod. And the staff was used to lead and to lift the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd would use the rod on an unruly sheep. Probably heard that before. He would break the leg of a sheep so the sheep would totally uh, be dependent on him for a while. Sometimes there was a sheep that would want to wander off and get away and keep doing that and keep wandering. And he knew as a shepherd, if that sheep keeps doing that, it's going to get in trouble. It's going to fall into a ditch. It's going to get hurt. It's going to get attacked. And so he would literally take the rod and come up and crack the leg of the sheep. Now, some would say that's terrible and that's mean and that's horrible and how could he possibly do that? But it was a whole lot better than losing the life of the sheep and and losing the livestock they had. And that sheep and that shepherd would get awful close for at least six weeks. Because that sheep wouldn't be able to do anything without the hand of the shepherd. That sheep was helpless unless that shepherd would pick him up and put him on his shoulder and talk to him and carry him and care for him. Sometimes tuck one underneath the arm, sometimes have one on each arm because they had two bad ones in the flock. You understand what I'm talking about, moms and dads. But they would do some kind of form of punishment to guide the sheep. Now, I talked to, I talked to the kids. Let me talk to moms and dads. Moms and dads, it's your job to sometimes punish your child. Kids, you're not going to say amen on it, are you? <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes, moms and dads, we don't do a good job with that. And i got to tell you, moms and dads, it's not your job to be their best friend. That will come down the road. You'll be able to be their friend down the road. It's not your job to be their best friend. It's your job to shepherd your children, and sometimes that means a punishment. We can go down the road of ideas, but I think you can think of your own ideas. But sometimes that means I have to be the disciplinarian, even though I don't like it. It made the job more difficult. You probably heard your mom and dad maybe say to you at one time or another, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. I don't know if I've said that to my kids. I may have at one time or another, but my mom and dad used to say that to me. It's going to hurt me more. Do you know why? Because in order to punish them, it messes with your life. If you're going to ground them, you're grounding, taking that away. That's more difficult to say, you know what, now I've got to enforce that grounding. Oh, I'm going to take that phone away. Oh, now I've got to make sure it's put away. Oh, they're small child. Maybe, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to spank. No, oh man, that's going to hurt me. I don't want to do that. That shepherd's life, it was more difficult to pick that sheep up and carry the sheep and make sure the sheep was okay. That was more hard for the shepherd to do that. Made the job more harder. That's what the shepherd does for us. That sheep got real close in a time of pain. You know when you get real close to God? You're walking through pain. I don't know what your pain is today. 
Don't know what your challenge is today. I don't know what your trial is today. I don't know what your difficulty is today. You're walking through some pain and difficulty, and, and God's working on your heart, working on your mind. He's trying to be your shepherd. And this is a time to draw close, because in your pain, you draw close to Him. Philip Keller, in his book called The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, said these descriptions. He said, to get a sheep to lie down, four requirements must be met. One is they have to be free from all fear. So they have to know that they're being protected. They have to be free from friction within the flock. They have to be free from flies and parasites. And they have to be free from hunger. And when those things are been taken care of, then the sheep will lie down. As long as the sheep, he says, as long as the sheep were bothered by any of those four things, they had stomped, snort, and run trying to rid themselves of whatever was tormenting them. I think some Christians are like that. I think sometimes we are stomping and snorting, always trying to run from the problem. I want to encourage you, church, come to the shepherd. He wants to take care of the issues that are bothering you. He he knows what's good for me. He knows what's good for you. The shepherd knows what I don't know. The shepherd knows what's going on ahead of us. The shepherd knows what's coming around the corner of us. The shepherd knows where we need to be led. Shepherds would lead their herds to green pastures so the sheep could feed and, and store fat so they could face the winter time. If a sheep kept running around using up all of their resources and didn't receive proper nutrition, then the, the results would be tragic. He would lose the life of a, of a sheep. And a lot of Christians are like that. We confuse motion with progress. Oh, I'm going to church. Oh, I'm going to Bible study. Oh, I'm going to a conference. And sometimes we keep on running to this and to that, and we're staying so busy, but we're not stopping and listening to the voice of the shepherd for where he's leading and where he's guiding and how he's protecting. Sometimes we're burning up our reserves, spiritually, so to speak. The sheep survived the winter because the reserves that they built up, you and I to be building up some spiritual reserves. And if you're not going through a time of difficulty right now, it might be a time right now that God's building in some reserves because most likely there's a difficult situation that's ahead. Because that's what life does to us. We go through one valley and we'll hit a peak and go through another valley. He leads me. The shepherd experiences it first. He sees the danger ahead and he knows what the next step is for you. Who are you allowing to go ahead for you? Are you in a spot of saying, I'm letting the shepherd, Jesus, I'm letting the shepherd, God, go ahead of me, and then I'm following where he is? Or are you running ahead of him, getting into trouble and difficulties and hardships because you're not listening to him as he leads and guides? There are several things you need to know about sheep. One is sheep are moderately intelligent. In other words, they're not smart. You've never seen a sheep at a circus, have you? They're not smart enough to get there. Sheep have poor eyesight. They can't see what's coming up ahead of them. Sheep have a herd instinct that is fatal. Wherever the herd is going, then I'm going to go. Sheep are terrible fighters. They can bleat and butt heads with other sheep, but that's about all they can do. Sheep are lunch for a wolf if they get away from the shepherd, and sheep are totally dependent upon a shepherd. Verse 2, he says, He leads me. He, he, he sees the deep ravine. He sees the ditch. And he says, don't go there. See, in Israel, if you go to a, 
hillside where the sheep are wandering, the shepherds are guiding. You can go there now. I look forward to one day taking a trip to Israel and actually going to the Holy Lands and seeing it firsthand, seeing pictures. Some of the ravines are so deep and so big that some of the, the sheep get lost down in the ravines because they're so deep. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Sometimes what Proverbs is trying to tell us here, sometimes we think our ways are great, but sometimes our ways are way off course. You ever hear the expression, pull the wool over your eyes? Probably heard that before. Someone just pulled the wool over your eyes. Sheep think wolves are sheep because they can't see past their own wool that's over their eyes. And a sheep, unless the shepherd takes the time to care for it uh, and cut back the wool, the sheep can't see. And sometimes what would happen is they'd have wool growing over their eyes and they're just kind of following the herd and a shepherd would come along because there's a wolf and whack the wolf that's getting in the middle of the herd and a sheep would get upset because all he sees is wool in front of his eyes. Sometimes that's how we look. Sometimes we can't see what's next. We get upset, this is happening or that's happening and quite possibly God's doing his work. See, when the shepherd strikes the wolf, that sheep doesn't understand what the shepherd is doing. He has to trust. What's that shepherd doing? And the shepherd's then responsibility to clear the eyes of the wolf, but they, the wolf from their eyes, but they still struggle to see. Verse 2, he says, He leaves me beside still waters. If the sheep gets wet, you know what happens to the sheep? It'll drown. Because if a sheep goes up by rushing waters, gets wet, its wool becomes very heavy, and that little sheep will fall in the river, and so... The shepherd knows, don't take it by rushing water. Take it by still water so that the sheep could, could drink. And they needed pure, clean water if they drank from the wrong water source. They went to a polluted pond or polluted lake. He knew that sheep would get sick, so he knew exactly where to guide the flock along still water so they don't drown. They get pure water, and then from that pure water, they would drink. What are you taking in today? What, what are you drinking from, so to speak? What are you allowing into your heart and into your mind? Are you being fed by the Word of God? Or are you being fed by the food of this world? Everything this world has to offer is pollution. It will destroy the heart and the mind and the soul. And the shepherd is leading us and guiding us, saying, I, you need my words, you need me, you need to understand who I am. What are you taking in? You remember the woman at the well? woman who had been caught in adultery and had five different husbands, and Jesus comes along, has a conversation, her life has changed, and what did he say to her? He said, you will never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. He wasn't talking about water. He wasn't talking about a physical thirst. He was talking about a spiritual thirst. He says, now that you know me, you will never thirst again. Verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He replenishes, refreshes me, refills me. He revives me. You ever had a morning on a Sunday when you wake up and you think, I don't want to go to church. Don't speak up now too loud. Truth be told, we all have that. Truth be told, there's days I wake up and go, man, I don't want to go to church today. Small group coming around, oh, I don't want to go to that growth group today. We've all wrestled with those things, but have you ever noticed how when you make yourself, and you're like, I'm going I'm getting up and I'll be there. You ever notice how when you get there, maybe you're the one walking out the door going, oh my goodness, you should never miss Sunday. 
Or you're the one walking out the door and you want to go tell your friend, man, yesterday at church, this is what happened. I'm so excited about it. You walk out and you're refreshed because God does something in this gathering where He revives and restores our soul. Sometimes the hugs that are shared or the high fives that are shared or the smiles that are given or prayers or worship or preaching, God uses this time to restore your soul. That's what He does inside of us. You may be on your back and feel like there's no hope. Today's the day to say, you know what, I have a shepherd in God who wants to restore my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Sheep will follow each other until the path becomes ruts, as I was saying. They'll just create rut after rut after rut. Some Christians are like that. We just stay in the same rut over and over again. We keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Some of you have been walking the same path with Jesus for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years. You're in a rut. And usually, the ruts become so dangerous because the sheep was so much smaller, they get stuck in a rut, they get stuck down in the ravine, and the shepherd would then take that, that, that staff and he would just lift them up, get them back to where he's supposed to be going. Some of you are in a rut. Some of you need new pasture, so to speak. But we sit on the side feeding an old, dry, stale sandwich. Today or this summer could be a time to say, Lord, put me on a new path. Lord, get me off of this old, stinky rut that I'm on. God says, behold, I am doing a new thing. God wants to continually lead us to new pastures. Are you following where he's leading you? Yet sometimes we're happy with our 20-year-old bale of straw, so to speak. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, verse 4 says. That's the famous passage at funerals. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, The greenest pasture is in the valley. You go to the mountaintop, it's a totally different view. The greenest pasture is in the valley. That's where the grass grows. You might be in a valley right now and you're like, I don't like this valley. i got to tell you, that's where you're growing. I don't know how long you'll be in the valley, but if you grab on to God as your shepherd, He'll bring you through it. And beyond bringing you through it, He'll grow you in it. In the valley, you get personal attention from the shepherd like no other time. But he says in verse 4, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. We are comforted by the shepherd walking with us and watching, watching over us. If whatever we're walking through, we know we're walking with him. Verse 5, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God always gives his best things in the worst of times. Prepare a table. That's what David's saying. David's saying, I'm in the worst of times right now, but boy, God gives me his best. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. I love that verse. I mean, you think about it. How would you like to have a public relation firm like that? When all my enemies are against me, God's going to bring peace? I mean, that would be tremendous. Verse 5 says, you anoint my head with oil. Flies and parasites would attack the head of a sheep, and they would use an oil around the eyes and around the nostrils. And, you sh- and I've shared with you before, sometimes flies would go up in the nostrils of a sheep and lay their eggs, and eventually then a fly would hatch, and they'd have sheep and, or flies inside of their brain. And if you ever saw a sheep shaking its head, it's because it's got some kind of fly or something, an insect inside of its brain. And so the shepherd would come along and anoint its head to protect it from all the junk. That's what God wants to do for you and me. If we allow him to be our shepherd, if we trust him to say, Lord, I don't always know where you're leading, what you're always guiding to, but Lord, I don't need to know. I'm just going to follow. And he comes back and says, my cup overflows. In other words, he's saying, I have more than I need. More than I need. Not more than I want. More than I need. I'm more than I need because he fills me. In verse 6, he said, surely. 
The word surely means absolutely, without question, no doubt about it. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy. Goodness will take care of my steps, and mercy takes care of my stumbles. Because David was saying, listen, I've made a lot of steps, but in my steps there's been a whole lot of stumbles. There's been a whole lot of poor choices. There's been a whole lot of things that I've done that have not honored God, but His goodness and His mercy has come right alongside of me as long as I keep grabbing onto Him as the shepherd. And some of us need to hear that today. Some of us need to hear that your scars and your mistakes and your stumbles and your bumbles, just keep grabbing onto God. Keep trusting God, no matter what you're walking through today, and let His goodness and His mercy take care of your steps and take care of your stumbles. Verse 6 says, And I shall dwell in a house of the Lord forever. He's talking about eternity there. David had a mindset that said, even though I've wandered and even though I've wavered, even though I've been on the ups and the downs, even though I've made choices that don't honor God, I keep grabbing onto Him and I keep my eyes looking forward, fixed on Him, thinking eternity's coming. And he knows that that eternity with God is ahead of him. Now don't miss this, verse 6, he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That can only happen in your life if verse 1 is true. Verse 1, that says, the Lord is my shepherd. The only way to dwell in the house of the Lord forever is that the Lord is your shepherd, that Jehovah Roihi, that you've accepted Jesus as Savior. Then you can say the same thing that David says and says, yes, I've been through the ups and I've been through the downs. I've made good choices and I've made bad choices, but the Lord is my shepherd and so I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can say that only when we've accepted Jesus as Savior. John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Let me ask you today as we close. Do you know the Lord is your shepherd? Are you allowing him to be your shepherd? Sometimes we accept him to be our shepherd, but then we don't allow him to actually guide us and protect us and lead us. This morning, I want to encourage you to take a deep thought on that. Close your mind with, close your eyes with me. Close your eyes and bow your head with me. And I want you to just personally talk to God for a moment. I want you to wrestle with are you, first of all, are you in Jesus? Is Jesus your Savior? Is God your shepherd? Is verse 1 true in your life? Are you allowing that to take place? If you're not, in a moment here, we're going to receive communion and continue in worship. And I invite you, if Jesus is not your shepherd, to stand up and go to the back of the room and we'll help you on that journey. Maybe you want to make a decision of faith today. You could use your connection card in that. But it starts with saying, I want to accept Jesus as my shepherd, my Savior repenting of your sins and turning from an old way of living to a new way to say, I want a new guide in my life. My second question probably applies to most of us in this room, though, because many have accepted Jesus as Savior. Are you really allowing Him to lead? Are you trying to be out in front? Are you allowing Him to shepherd you? Are you allowing Him to guide you? Are you taking the time to say, Lord, where you go, I want to follow? Heavenly Father, as we sit here in this room, Speak to our heart and our mind on these issues. Then help us to respond. Lord, as we receive communion, 
And we pick up the cracker and the juice and we remember your death, your burial, and resurrection. Lord, it also reminds us that as our shepherd, you died for us. That's how much you loved us. And so, Lord, allow us to do some business with you right here in this room this morning. Father, if there's a person in this room who's not accepted Jesus and Savior as, as their Savior, I pray today would be that day. And they would stand up and they'd go to the back of the room and say, I want Jesus as my Savior today. Show me more. Tell me how to do this. Father, for those who are in Christ, Lord, would you show us where we're not allowing you to lead. Show us where we're not being good followers. Show us, Lord, how we can follow you more. Lord, we honor you and we celebrate you this morning as we partake in communion together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.